Good morning, everyone. It's April the 5th, 2020, and we are joining each other again virtually because in the midst of a pandemic, we are uh, socially distancing, but we are spiritually connecting together today to go over uh, the scripture that's been given to us or assigned for today, which comes from 1 Timothy. Uh, we're providing this class by video, and so in a way, I wanted you to invite you into our living room and just share with you what I'll be sharing with our family today and to invite you to discuss in your family and with those that, that you're sitting with today for you to, to discuss the same things that we will, will be discussing based on today's passage. We are studying the book of 1 Timothy, which is one of the letters that Paul wrote. It's a very personal letter that was written from Paul to a young man named Timothy who was left to help uh, guide a church in Ephesus uh, at, a, at a very important and critical time when this church was growing to the point that leaders were being selected and certain individuals were being pointed out as leaders for that church, but also a time that many people who had chosen to follow Christ were feeling that pressure to return back to their worship of other gods and goddesses, in particular the goddess Artemis. Now, the book of First Timothy was written back in the 60s. This isn't the 1960s. It was actually about the, the actual 60 AD, or uh, most scholars would say around 65 AD, that Paul penned this letter. And it was taken down to Ephesus, arrived in the harbor. A merchant probably took it up the street, down the road, uh, to the house of this young man, uh, Timothy. And Ephesus, at the time, was an important trading city. It set right on the, uh, the edge of the sea there across from Greece in what is modern-day Turkey. Many important people passed through Ephesus. You'll read about other individuals in the Bible. Apollos, a great teacher, passed through there. Uh, even the Apostle John, we're told, that after he left Jerusalem, spent some time uh, there in Ephesus. And some people even say that maybe this is where he wrote the book, book of John. The point there is that many people would have come through Ephesus at one time, including Paul and Timothy. Priscilla and Aquila, I forgot to mention, uh, spent time there. So many of the people that you read about in Scripture would have spent time here and maybe even worshipped with this very group of people that Timothy was leading there in Ephesus. Now, everything that happened in Ephesus happened there in the shadows of Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis was the goddess who was a daughter of Zeus, Zeus had a liaison with uh, a goddess named Leto. Leto was pregnant with twins, and she gave birth to Artemis first, and then later, nine days later, to her younger brother, Apollo. And, uh, and, and that happened, uh, according to the myth, just outside of Ephesus. But because Artemis was born first, and because she's the one who helped her mother through the rest of the labor, Artemis is the one who became the guardian of Ephesus. It was her great temple that stood there over Ephesus. In fact, that temple was called one of the great wonders of the ancient world because it was so enormous. Artemis uh, of the Ephesians was considered the protector, first of, of Ephesus, but also of that part of the world. And she protected the people, she protected their wealth, and she protected uh, the, uh, the, the women in the city who were uh, delivering she was the one who uh, was considered their great protector. And so they would, the people of Ephesus guarded uh, Artemis because they believed that she was the one who guarded them. Her temple was enormous with over 130 columns circling all the way around. 
It stood about six stories tall. It was larger than a football field. So can you imagine a building of that size made totally out of stone and marble? And, uh, and it could be seen from most places there, uh, there in Ephesus. But this temple to Artemis was not only there for the worship of Artemis, it served uh, several important functions. As I said, Ephesus was a wealthy city. Uh, because of the commerce, there were a lot of wealthy people who lived there. Excavations show that there is a series of houses there within Ephesus that had multiple rooms with beautiful fresco pra- paintings all around the side, mosaic uh, floors. And it was clear that this was a, a concentration of wealth and wealthy people. And a lot of those people stored their money within the temple of Artemis. In fact, there were there were even... Uh, emperors of Rome who would have sent money that was deposited and kept on deposit there within the temple of Artemis. In many ways, that temple of Artemis served as an early version of what today would be a major uh, a major bank. They, uh, the priests and those who ran the temple would lend money out and then make interest on that money. They're the ones that helped pay for mortgages and helped uh, to rescue the town after big calamities. Uh, it, the temple of Artemis was the one who guarded, or excuse me, the temple itself was the guardian of funds that were donated by Rome to help keep that port city open because it was so so important. So they would pay money to dredge out the uh, the uh, the port there of the silt that would build up over time. And and the worship of Artemis was such a uh, lucrative uh, type of uh, worship because of all the people who made money off of those who had come to worship Artemis. So uh, some of those people who made money were the priests themselves. There was a time about 10, maybe up to 20 years before um, this letter that we're reading was written that a decree went out that said that priests who serve in the temple of Artemis could no longer be uh, uh, sold on uh, as a way of, or excuse me, the, the priesthood could not be sold as a part of public auction because people would bid to be the priests of Artemis because there would be some money that came in. Another common practice that they had to, um, had to stop was people adopting children and then dedicating them to Artemis because the temple of Artemis would then pay for or give subsidies for these children as they, as they grew up. And that became a drain on that financial system that was the Artemision or the, uh, the temple of Artemis. And because of several calamities and the temple having to pay out, apparently around the um, the 40s and 50s, Ephesus went into a tough economic time. And we don't have all the details of this, but it's uh, there are hints that the price of food was going up at this time. Nero came into power. And so uh, because of many of his narcissistic behaviors, he was taking money out of Uh, communities, including Ephesus, without putting uh, resources back in. And so Ephesus had gone into an economically volatile time. And that might explain what we read in Acts chapter 19, when you'll remember that Paul was still in Ephesus at that time, and Demetrius, who was a silver worker, and he made these shrines for Artemis, he became very angry. And you might remember him... uh, him uh, uh, causing a riot. In fact, we're told in uh, the book of Acts, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, and you see and hear 
that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come in dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Well, you hear in that that Demetrius, in riling up the crowd, is concerned uh, supposedly for the great goddess Artemis, but really his arguments are based on the fact that they are afraid that they will lose their wealth if people were to, uh, to worship someone other than, than Artemis. And that's what caused the great riot. And so because of this uh, argument that Demetrius made, crowds uh, rushed into the theater, and you can imagine this theater totally filled with people yelling at the top of their voices. So imagine thousands and thousands of people yelling for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis, who they said was the the great Artemis. Artemis was also known as Artemis' savior. And throughout Timothy, we've seen how Paul, when he's writing, even if he doesn't come out and say it directly, he's constantly showing a distinction between Artemis, who is a fashioned God who does not exist, and then the living God. And sometimes Paul will describe God not only as the living God, in contradiction to uh, Artemis, he will say God is God who is Savior. And not only uh, the local Savior, like Artemis would be, but he is the Savior of the whole world. And so Paul is constantly using language that, uh, that shows this contrast with Artemis. Well, the important thing to know for today's reading is that Ephesus was a wealthy, wealthy city and that the people of Ephesus were at this time concerned about being able to retain that wealth. There was something going on which uh, made their economy unstable and their hope and wealth uncertain. So with that, let's turn into uh, the scripture that's been given to us today. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy here. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires, or excuse me, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence 
of many witnesses. I tar charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Well, the passage today presents a contrast in which Paul places two things next to each other, and he says, there are some people in the community who are going to oppose sound teaching. You're going to know who they are because they believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. But he says to Timothy, that's not what you chase. That's not what you're after. Instead, you take hold of life that is, that is truly life. You'll know the, the difference. You'll know those people who are standing against what is real and what is true because they'll have this misconception that godliness is somehow a means to financial gain because their desire is to be wealthy, because their desire is uh, to, uh, to rise in social standing, and because of an inherent fear that to lose money or to lose things is somehow to lose their very self. Because of that fear, Paul says, people are set up for failure. And, and he says there's a huge distinction between those who believe that godliness is a means to financial gain, which is not true, and those who recognize that godliness with contentment is great gain. And here, Paul takes us back to the feet of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. And then he gets to the end of that passage and says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so Paul takes us back to that concept, and he says, you know, uh, we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out, and so if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And to be godly, to do what uh, God desires, and to seek God, and to seek to be his children, while at the same time being content with what we have, Paul says, is great gain. It's a word for uh, it is it is to be exorbitantly wealthy uh, if if we are to be if we are content uh, while at the same time being godly and then Paul breaks into an admonition for
for Timothy and very personally in a way that is, is tender and dear. He says to Timothy, you hang on to that life that is truly life. You take hold of eternal life. And he gives him this blessing. And then after the blessing, Paul gives a message that is not just for Timothy, but he specifically tells Timothy, for all of those who are wealthy in this present age, I want you to teach them something. And so listen closely again to what Paul says to those who are rich in this present age. He says, teach them not to put their hope in wealth or in riches, which are so uncertain. And so you hear that, uh, that, that uh, stress of the time and the uncertainty that people had about the economy in Ephesus. And he says, don't teach them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Uh, and the word hope there is important to think about. If I can take just a minute to say hope here is not talking about wishful thinking, as if to say, I, I hope I will get through this without losing money. You know, right now we are in a time of testing where uh, a pandemic has turned the economies of the world upside down. And there are many people who are worried about their jobs and about uh, the, uh, where their income will come from. They are worried about food, worried about clothing. And that's even here in the United States. You can imagine those parts of the world where there is already food insecurity and where people already have to wonder what they will eat from day to day, just how this is affecting the entire world. And so into a culture just like that, Paul says, uh, make sure you teach those who are wealthy in this present age not to put their hope in wealth. But that word hope is not the word wishful thinking, as if to say, I hope, I hope we will make it through this. The word hope there means a firm belief in something that is to come. It's a form of faith. So for me to say something like, I know we are going to get through this, and when we do, uh, God will provide what we need to be of service to our community. That's a statement of hope. It's not saying, I, I sure hope we make it through, as if to say, I, we might or we might not. It's not like th- flipping a coin and saying we have a 50% chance of making it through, and I, I hope I'm on the, you know, the 50% ch- chance side of making it. Uh, real hope says, I know that regardless of what happens, that there's an end to this pandemic. There's an end to any challenge that I'm going through. And on the other end, God will provide what is needed uh, for us to recover, to be of service to our community. And more than that, God will provide eternal life. And so that's where this word hope comes from. And Paul says, teach those who are wealthy in this present world not to put their hope, not to put confidence in the fact that, or or in the idea that it is their wealth that will see them through. And the reason is, as he points out here, wealth is so uncertain. So again, you hear in that the economy in Ephesus that was thrown upside down and you reach right through all the cultures up to a present day and you recognize that the entire world's economy can be turned upside down by something so small. There's a proverb in Jamaica that says it's a small axe that cuts down the big tree. That proverb is actually talking about uh, mosquitoes and the transmission of malaria. But it somehow applies today when you think of such a small virus uh, like the coronavirus being able to cause uh, such turmoil in the economies of the whole world. And Paul would say, that's why you do not put your hope 
in wealth because the wealth is so uncertain. But there is someone you can put your hope in. And he says, put your hope in God who richly provides everything that we need for our enjoyment. The word enjoyment there means just that, that God provides everything that you need so that you will be happy, so that you will have joy. But notice how he says that joy comes. He says, teach them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, uh, who richly provides everything that we need for our enjoyment. And then he says, teach them to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. It's as if Paul is saying, that's where the joy really comes. And so this would be a good time uh, at at the conclusion of our lesson. Uh, This would be a good time for you as a family to discuss. what What are the things in our life that make us wealthy? What are the things that our family has that we can share with our community? especially in this time that is trying. What can we do to help the people in in our community who uh, uh, are at risk of feeling a social isolation from the social distancing that is occurring? Who can we help buy groceries for? Who can we make a meal for? Uh, Who uh, can we pick up prescriptions for? Who can I make uh, special uh, uh, masks for? Uh, Who can I write a letter to? Who can I... Uh, provide a, a need for a, even in my even in my neighborhood. Uh, there are many opportunities to serve, and so it would be a good idea today in your family, if you would, to take this passage and then put it into practice, or discuss how you will put that into practice. What has God given for your enjoyment that uh, that can be shared with your community? And here's the interesting twist of this passage: Paul says that what God gives us for our enjoyment. Uh, reaches its fulfillment. In other words, what gives us the greatest joy is taking what God has given us and sharing that with someone else. The image that comes to mind is what Jesus did in the feeding of 5,000 people. Did you know that's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, uh, where Jesus there, after a day of teaching, before thousands and thousands of people, he turns to the disciples and says, where are all these people going to get something to eat? It's an interesting question. And John tells us later uh, that Jesus asked, even though he knew what he was going to do. But the question that Jesus asked is, what will you do? What will you do to take care of all these needs? And you can imagine the disciples turning and they're facing this overwhelming need with absolutely minimal resources And then hearing Jesus say, what are you going to do? And I think every one of the disciples who were there that day, every one of those eyewitnesses would say the lesson that they learned was that Jesus knew what he was going to do. And what they learned to do that day was to take from Jesus what he handed them, and then the joy came in handing that and distributing that to someone else. Well, that's exactly what we get to do as followers of Christ. We get to take what God has provided to us and we experience that joy that comes from sharing that with someone else. Can I share with you a quote that comes from uh, a doctor named Albert Schweitzer? Albert Schweitzer was a physician, a missionary, uh, as well as a preacher. And he, uh, later in his life, after spending time in Africa, 
was speaking to a group of students and they asked him to speak about what would make them successful. And this is what he said. He said, when I answer this question, I usually say something like this. Seek a humble sort of thing. Our hearts often look for something very big, something wanting a lot of sacrifice, and often our heart does not see the humble things. At first, you must learn to do the humble things, and often they are very difficult to do. In those humble things, be busy about helping someone who has need of you. You see somebody alone? Try to be with them. Try to give him some of the hours which you might take for yourself, and in that way, learn to serve. Then only will you begin to find true happiness. I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only one among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Well, let's take some time today uh, in your home with those who are studying the scripture today with you to talk about uh, what has God given our family? What has God given you and provided for you for your enjoyment, meaning for you to take from his hand and then with that great joy, share in some way with your community? So spend some time talking about how we can take this God's word and put it into practice here in our community this week. Well, may God bless you uh, with the resources that you need to serve him. And this week, be well. Thank you.